been incredibly fortunate to, to fly all around the world and, and, and you know, see all these clients of, of Valds and, and these teams from all different leagues. And it's pretty clear that the teams that have very few injuries, especially running soft tissue injuries, they make darn sure that their athletes are exposed to maximum velocity running very often, like at least every five days. Um, and, and it's, you know, the teams that tell me, ah, oh, 80% is fine. Well, they probably, they often have more hamstrings, <laughs> you know, the teams that really have sprinting efforts, um, they do. Okay. So I, I, I feel stronger than ever that maximal velocity stimulus is the most important thing we can do to, um, to make sure our, our athletes are ready to go for their sport period. That was coach and sports scientist Jake Schuster speaking on maximal velocity sprinting and injury prevention in team sport preparation. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The KBox and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and on the show today, we have back guest Jake Schuster. Jake is a sports performance practitioner and researcher hailing from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, last show we did with Jake, it was episode 109. It was incredible. Jake talked at length on how he was integrating cutting-edge exercises and technology into a training model for track and field athletes, particularly sprinters. And a highlight to that was his utilization of Alex Natera's work, uh, his force plate analysis, his, and his, just his total system was really this incredible and cutting-edge synthesis that was this awesome blend of sports science and coaching. So if you haven't uh, listened to episode 109, I definitely would, uh, maybe not before we listen to this one, but at some point, definitely make a point to check that one out. So I was excited to have Jake back on the show. Jake has spent the past year working as the senior sports scientist for Vald Performance. He's traveled the world, he's visited elite sprint sporting clients, and has gotten a unique insight into the global best practices. So he's been a little bit of a journeyman since you last heard from him when he was at Florida State as a strength coach for track and field. He's gotten to really see the practices of a lot of sporting, uh, sporting organizations, which you heard a little bit in the teaser, and that has been a big impact on his thought process. 
Jake's knowledge and abilities are a very impressive blend of both understanding science and data trends while also having that creative and integrative coaching mind. And those are the conversations that I absolutely love to have. Uh, I like to have them too because I feel like my mind leans more towards the coaching and intuition side and sometimes I get away from the the science and data back side and I like how Jake mentions um, being intellectually lazy and towards the back half of this show. Uh, so it's it's I, I just enjoy talking with people who make me better. Jake is incredibly insightful. On the show today, he's going to talk about international differences in sports science utilization. And by the way, if you're not like an organizational coach, you're not in like a high performance model or you're working with other people in the department, um, you may want to skip to about the 30 minute mark or so in the show where we start to get into more of the hamstring injury prevention, uh, speed development aspect, and then we're going to get into other things. Uh, which are, by the way, we'll, so we'll get into hamstring development, what you heard about in the teaser, uh, Nordic hamstrings, everything to do with strength and hamstring injury prevention. This is a really cool episode, too, in the follow-up or the wake of the J.B. Marin episode. Uh, Jake is going to talk about his evolving thoughts on the work of Franz Bosch and water bag training. Always controversial Franz Bosch work, so I, I was really excited and intrigued to hear Jake's take on it. Uh, Jake last time went into a lot of detail on force plates. He's going to talk about a little. He's going to talk a little more on that, especially in the realm of concentric rate of force development, which is related to really good things that happen in athleticism. Finally, he's just going to give a take on what's coming up for him this next year. Things that he's things he's thinking about, questions and topics. This is a cool common sense episode. Guy who is who is in the sports science and data but is also an intuitive coach who really blends it all. I always enjoy talking with Jake Schuster. Let's get on to the episode. You, uh, what's, what's like your daily monitoring? How do you monitor Jake Schuster? Like whoop band or what do you, what do you, what do you got going on there, man? Yeah. Awesome. First question. Um, I, I, I wear a whoop band. I, I first put it on what, uh, around December. It was funny. I, I was flying in from Europe. Yeah, from Europe to Major League Baseball winter meetings in Vegas. Um, so that classic three days to figure out your your uh, sleep schedule that it asks of you was an underestimation. But once it got a hold of that, uh, I found it really interesting for feedback. And I actually caught on to that at Florida State where we had, I think, five teams using it. And all of them made like national quarterfinals or better. And the two teams that won a national championship in the last two years were both uh, heavy users of the product. I think it's, it's not about... Um, not about even reliability or accuracy of some of its metrics because it's certainly limited and has, you know, has its flaws, but it's about feedback and behavior change, which I would, I would reflect uh, is a lot of the value of force platform testing. Um, When you can see kind of where you're at and where that is relative to your norm, um, whether that's your normal, your normal Monday or your normal match day plus one or whatever um, that, that informs training. And I think, I think this uh, responsive information is is more valuable than predictive information. So where we say, yeah, th- you know, this is how much a guy ran, and that means his injury risk is X Y Z. I'm not sure about that. I think saying, well, you know, your resting heart rate in your sleep is normally 60, and last night it was 70. Okay, let's figure out why that happened, and let's see how good to go you are today. Yeah, I my um my personal like this is sad. Like my own personal monitoring is oftentimes sometimes before a workout I'll do the five second tap test on the keyboard. And I'm like, oh man, I got a lot less taps than I did. Sometimes some days I'm always wondering, I'm like, man, I should got at least like forty one or forty two. Why did I only get forty? And then it's like 
Is it because my one-year-old was up last night? Am I stressed out? Like, it'd be nice to have a little bit more like, like information mm. as to why, like, I mean, does that, does that give you some of those, like, does it give you some different like areas of stress, stress loads and that type of thing? Yeah. Um, in terms of feedback, yeah. like different areas or. Uh, yeah. Like what, what are like the areas of, of stress that you're kind of looking yeah, at? Yeah. Well, I think that's what's kind of fun about getting feedback is is you have to ask those questions, and that's why that's why I like you know athletes doing counter movement jumps every day if possible, or, or looking at you know HRV in your sleep and things like that because you can say, oh, I wonder, okay, did anything different happen last night, um, or did we train extra hard yesterday, or is there some existential stress going on? Uh, and we can try and answer those questions, and you also get that nice end of one right because I look again I. I think GPS is a wonderful tool um, and we should try and answer the question, what did the athlete do or how much work did they do or how, how much work did they do relative to their norm? Um, you know, but I, I, I vividly remember my first trip to Australia seeing AFL teams and just being blown away at their operations and how bought in everyone was and how, how the coach embraced, you know, different training load um, instructions really. Um, but then, you know, being shown these amazing spreadsheets and I'm saying, well, for example, on, on, you know, match day minus two, we want everyone to get say 250 meters of zone six running. I'm making up numbers and they'd say, but about half the team benefits from 300 about half the team needs, you know, 150. I say, well, what's the point of doing this then? I mean, we need to look at individual responses and we should, again, we really should answer the question of what did the athlete do, but maybe how do they respond or what's their status is a, is a more valuable question to answer and a more feasible question to answer. So to actually answer your question, I, I think, we get to ask those those questions in terms of feedback and we get to explore those questions with individual athletes, which is what we have to do, whether we have a football roster of 80 people or, um, you know, basketball roster of 14. I think we're responsible in any support staff role to address that and to, to chase that. Yeah, that that end of one puzzle is the that's the puzzle I always just naturally want to go for. It's like, uh, yeah. and and figuring out that that puzzle from that point uh, in, or inside out. Really, I, I was going to say too, you've been traveling an awful lot the last year, Jake. Do you feel like some? What are the differences like like culturally in terms of like like sports like data and monitoring? Are you seeing like a lot of differences like in 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 from one, like one culture, one country to another, and who's really like on, on what side of that equation? Oh, absolutely. And I think it, it would be lazy and, and probably even a bit archaic to say the typical, well, America's still ahead in strength and conditioning and Australia is still ahead in sports science, though there's, you know, definitely shades of truth there. I think um, we we see still greater um, compliance down under with the sport coaching staff understanding load monitoring and needing to hand over the reins on a lot of that. But we do see some really exciting stuff happening in North America right now, um, probably because of budget and what that allows in terms of exploration. And, um, you know, I know some NBA teams really going to great lengths to quantify their warmup because that's one of the few, few things that they do every single day, no matter what. Um, and so can we, can we quantify, right? What's their normal, you know, a number of markers that they show in that warm-up, and, and if they show variance, what's the protocol? Um, the other thing that I see some teams doing really well is um, is building out kind of if-then scenarios. So, like you said, we'll have all sorts of different responses, all sorts of different patterns, but we can say, okay, if someone's uh, wellness markers are off, then this is the next thing that we look at. And we all agree that this is the next thing we look at. And if that's off, 
then this is the person who makes a decision or has a conversation with a player or whatnot. Um, and so I think around the world, that would be a commonality is that all teams have that really nicely done. Um, and in terms of successful teams that have few injuries is that they have their protocols down, they have their checks and balances down. Um, differences. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say differences across sport are larger than differences across culture at this point. Hmm. Twitter is a cauldron that I've really stayed away from recently, <laughs> it but is it is cauldron. very helpful <laughs> in that great ideas spread quickly. And that's the beauty mm-hmm. of the internet. So I think, I think uh, habits that you see across different sports uh, are, are more, more profound than ones across different you know, cultures. Yeah. It's interesting. What, what sports do you feel like? And I mean, I know in Australia, there's obviously sports that aren't as familiar in the States or mm-hmm. what, what's like, what sports, some of the sports that you think are really doing that symbiosis between sports science and the sports staff, just absolutely the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give an annoying non-answer to that. It's really individual teams that I, I could say, NBA, NFL, NHL, actually baseball, all four major leagues in America, there are a few teams doing some really amazing stuff and with some really airtight protocols and great training and monitoring cultures. And then there's some teams that, that are, are not as great um, in those leagues. You know, it would be easy to say that the AFL is, is still the, the cutting edge out there. And, and I think they are in terms of uh, coach buy-in. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. It I is. I, well, it me. I was going to say, I was like, call it some sports, Jake. Tell me, but I mean, like, like you're saying, it's, it's really like, it's just, I think that shows like it comes down to a lot of a personal level with the staff and their ability to, um, to work it as is, a unit yeah. on things. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say if I had to pick out two, um, I'd be biased in North America and say, um, basketball and baseball are both investing very heavily in this area and, and just finding people to, to kind of turn things upside down with mixed results. But you see amazingly in baseball an incredibly traditional and stubborn sport. There's some really cool setups. There's some really cool operations happening right now. And that's because it's so stats driven. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I, I think, uh, yeah, like the whole Moneyball thing. And it's probably more easy to apply that, that mode and have everyone, like everyone buy in on it. And so, right. Oh, it's cool, man. I mean, that's a, it's not an area that's like necessarily my, my forte, but I like learning about, I like learning about how things come together in that regards. And I like the N of ones and the outcome. And, and you mentioned, um, like, like almost like a triage system, right? Like you said, like looking at different, um, aspects of an athlete, like mm-hmm. their wellness questionnaire, the force plate. Like, so if you had like a list of things that you're going to go down, it's like, okay, here's an athlete and their readiness for practice or playing. Uh, do you have like a list of importance that you go down the line that tells me, okay, here's the first red flag. Okay. Now here's the second, here's the third or anything like that. Mm, if I had to just like design a setup, regardless of sport, you're saying, yeah, regardless of sport, what's yeah, the first, what's the first, really uh, yeah, I just, I threw a curveball at you. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's a great one. I mean, uh, people love to tweet this out, but the, but the, the best and first question is to talk to the athlete. Um, and, and I think that's so important. It's just so, so, so important. And, and someone, it doesn't matter if it's the intern that they're buddy, buddy with, if it's the medical staff, if it's the nutritionist or if it's the strength coach, but someone has to talk to the athlete like when they walk in the building every morning and see how they're doing. And then I think decisions have to be made off that. If you don't do force plate testing every day, that's fine. But if an athlete kind of looks like crap and they walk in the door, you should maybe throw them on a force plate and see if they're, <laughs> okay if any asymmetries jump off the page and that might not be fun or easy but it'd probably be the responsible thing to do um i think yeah some kind of neuromuscular assessment like a counter movement jump 
um, would be my next go-to. And then if you can look at some kind of internal measures, that's helpful. I, I do like resting heart rate, um, you know, whether that's in the final sleep phase or waking or however else I, I like that. Um, cool, man. Yeah, I, that would be great. I need to start doing some of that on myself. <laughs> Maybe I can figure out my problems. Uh, it's scary though, because then it, it holds you accountable, man. Like, I mean, I found what we were talking about the end of one. My favorite example is everyone's probably got a different threshold for this, but I find um, a, uh, a second glass of wine just spikes my, my resting heart rate in my sleep um, and crashes my HRV. That one glass of wine, you can't tell the difference um, on the markers in the morning, but a second glass and it's, it's done. And some people might be three, some people might be one, right? Yeah, dude, that's, you know, that might be the first thing I put in the, the show notes. Cause I was like, you know, that day I had the lousy, cra- the lousy, um, the lousy, uh, tap test. Yeah. I might've, I, I usually don't, I, I actually am like a pretty fair abstainer from drinking when I can't try to like replace it with like sparkling lemon water, but someone like there was an extra six pack left over at some event and it's like, <laughs> okay, I'll take it home. And you know, like, so instead of one, I had two drinks from that must've been it, man. Like it's just that yeah. second one. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, it's profound though. It's amazing how big, like, it's like that tipping point though, right? It's like, it's like you could do that extra set of squats. That's like, you know, you did your 80, your 85%. Are you going to do a 90% on one RM? But it's that 90% that gets you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, uh, it's cool to think about all those little things that, that can be a part of that, man. Uh, right, right on. Uh, well, and I, I think too, like that leads me to question, like I wasn't, I think it's in the essence of what we were going to talk about, but like, I think about this a lot as if like, you know, we, like I just finished reading Robert Greene's book, The Laws of Human Nature. And, awesome. and oh yeah. I've had that sitting on my shelf for like a month. I have to stop procrastinating. Dude, it took me, I procrastinated my way through, it took me like six months to read that thing. Uh, I procrastinated my way through reading it. But one of the things that chapters that really struck me was like, you know, to, to basically be the best you can be or in an organization or whatever, there's like, you have to blend like the masculine and the feminine, the quantitative and the qualitative. Right. And like, obviously mm-hmm. you're, you're saying it right there. Like, like first just ask the athlete how they're doing. Like there is a, a, a feeling that, that comes with that, that our intuition can puts together. But then we also have data and we also have quantification. We have the puzzle, the machine like state of the athletic body on the other hand. And so, um, I mean, how do you, I think you've basically mentioned it like with, with, yes, you need to do this, but how do you see those two worlds optimally working together? I, I mean, I would imagine you would be at the state of like, look, like data, there will never be a true money ball machines and data solve all your injury mm-hmm. problems, right? Like there has to be a meet in the middle. And so what do you, what's your take on that type of situation? Just in terms of how humans can responsibly use robots, basically. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, assuming we're calling computers robots, right? Oh, did you see that Boston Dynamics video where they're like beating up the robot and throwing stuff at it now to test its balance? It's really scary. I saw it doing um, backflips, I think. That was kind of scary. That? I saw it doing backflips, I think. I think that yeah, was kind of scary. Yeah, terrifying. I mean, because I, I actually joke probably too often that, you know, we're we're just living in these dark ages that we're going to joke about soon where athletes are going to have a chip in them and there's going to be cameras all around the facility that's going to read their body language mm-hmm. and face when they walk in and it's going to do computer or machine learning and just tell us, tell us what to do or tell us what matters and what doesn't. And that still won't take away from the human element. We will still have to be able to communicate with each other and read each other and make responsible decisions. And I think, um, you know, I'm getting sick of conferences just saying, oh, it's about how you use the data. Okay, great. Well, what about it? And 
I think the the two biggest things that I could say are um, are um, think for yourself, right? So all this all this back and forth about the acute chronic workload ratio on on Twitter right now and in journals. Look, I'm not a statistician. Um, I'm not a, a professor of ethics and uh, you know paper writing, so I really won't comment on it. But what I can say is that it's crazy if anyone was just reading 1.5 acute chronic is some magic number and going and applying that into their work. That's intellectually lazy and it's irresponsible. It's negligent, really. People, yes, it's great to have a baseline. People ask me what's a good score on uh, on the Nord board, on force plate, whatever, all the time. Great to have some reference points, but people should not be doing that. They should be saying, okay, let's go in and, and let's see at what kind of workload balance do our athletes get injured or does this athlete get injured? You know, at what balance does he start to complain about things or, you know, look fatigued and then make decisions for yourself. Think for yourself. The other thing that I think we need to do with data is communicate. And that's some of that, you know, checks and balances stuff that we spoke about is, um, you know, and, and it, it even links in with thinking for yourself. Right. So if we say an eccentric duration, um, eccentric duration variable and a counter movement jump is a great marker of fatigue. I love that that variable. Um, and we know, look, if you're under 300, you're probably a track athlete ready to peak. If you're under 400, you're probably pretty okay. If you're over 600, you're either lazy or fatigued, I would guess. But, you know, we see offensive linemen who can't get under 600 and so forth. And I think we have to think for ourselves and, and look at that and have a conversation around, okay, if this athlete is always under 600 and we see them over 600, what's the sequence? Okay. Make sure that the person doing the tests, ask them, Hey, how you doing? Make sure that they look to see if they're not just half-assing the test. Then how does that person communicate with another member of staff to look at something else, to check their sleep markers or check whatever else, and just set up systems where people talk to each other. Because people don't talk to each other enough. We're buried in our phones. We're relying on the numbers. And, and I love how objective the numbers are. I love that force platforms can tell strength coaches, hey, I'm good at what I do. Look, coach, I made them more athletic. That's fantastic. But we can't hide behind the numbers. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. I, I love that. I love, I, dude, that is such an awesome point. And I love, one thing I was thinking of as you were mentioning that is like, just like the ability of, okay, like it's one thing to say, here's the number, but it's another thing to say to like be able to do that and maybe like tie biomechanics into it, watching the person yeah. do it at the same time. I think that's the same thing that's actually wrong, like not wrong, but that is, I think a, a thing that's holding like, like sprint science back is you say, okay, here's some numbers on the force plate while they were running, but there's nothing that's like, like visual that's alongside of it, you know, like, and, and so I think that that can, can be a detriment when that, that isn't the case, but I imagine, um, like in, in your, uh, experience, like what's, what's kind of like the best, uh, possible situation with, with the coaches, uh, like, like in in the dream scenario, like they're seeing these numbers on like the eccentric uh, force on the, the, it, you're seeing mm-hmm. the number you're, you know, telling the coach or, or whatever, like what's, what's this, what's this perfect symbiosis of how this can be optimal in, in the, the, the management system. Mm, I'll probably take some heat for this, but I really think it's having um, all of the stuff we talked about, you know, combining really nicely into the top of the pyramid and having a high performance manager type either going to the head coach with, you know, one double-sided sheet of paper or, you know, colors next to each player's names or not even having to mention it, 
you know, you see this in AFL often is, mm-hmm. is like, they don't say to the coach, Hey, I might need to pull this guy out. It's, hey, he, he's not doing high speed running today, or he's not doing that drill. Um, you know, and the staff stands around the edge mm-hmm. of the, of the pitch and, and, you know, in turn B is tasked with looking after player number four. Right. And, and, you know, looking, is he grabbing his hamstring during the warmups and so forth? And, and that's, I mean, that's just human element. We, we have to get back to that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I really think it's, it's a staff coming together and, and going as a team to, to use their, their eyes and their ears and their mouths to, to look after a team and to actually keep an eye on them. Yeah, I, the, the, actually, that was the first time I'd ever heard that with Michael Regan at Jay Mayo seminar. Was I've never heard of the fact that there's a high performance manager that can tell the coach what to do. Basically, that was like completely foreign yeah, you to see me. That a lot outside of America. Don't get me wrong. In European yeah. soccer, there's a lot of powerful coaches uh, who will make decisions on their own. But throughout global sport, um, it's pretty common to have a member of staff that's that's calling these shots. And yeah, I think I think we, we can all talk to athletes and we can all look at their numbers and then say, hey, he's he's not gonna. It's not going to happen today, and it's, and it's funny because in America, um, as in a lot of cu- cultures, we're um, we're very doctor centric, you know. So a doctor could say, "Well, this this athlete's limited, and that you know this athlete can't participate." So I don't know why it's so foreign for us to have another member of staff that might play that role, but I don't know. Sports yeah. pretty. It's interesting to me, yeah, because I just I just look at like the management of you know I certainly have an ego in my own you know my own role of what I do. It's almost like you're just looking at ego management throughout, like, and not speaking that ego is a bad thing. Just speaking of our own intentions and desires and doing what we you know consider our job scope and how that human dynamics. It's it's I guess or social ecology. I'm trying to think of like a fancy word, right? Like how yeah yeah it's it's how does that all play together and how does it allow us to feel great about what we're doing, but also fine with what we're being told by another person who may have a be hierarchically above us. And so that's, it's you almost to begin to wonder like how good are the lawyers behind the team? Right. Because <laughs> I mean, who decides who makes the decision on participation of an athlete and what conversations mm-hmm. actually happen around that? Um, that's fascinating to me. I, I saw someone whinging on Twitter the other day about, um, you know, a, a doc saying, uh, no weights, you know, unlimited running, but no weights for a while. And I've been there. Um, and it's, it's horrible. It's a complete joke, yeah. but okay. What are we doing about that? How, how are we addressing this? Like, is that person actually picking up the phone and calling the doctor and dealing with it? Or are they just going on Twitter and Hey, it's not easy. Yeah. But, but what are we doing to actually improve, you know, whether it's strength and conditioning or sports science or wherever you sit, what are we doing to improve our fates and our scope of practice and, and, and really athlete welfare in the end. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really good stuff, Jake. And I ask I ask a lot of these questions because I, I actually don't work in a department with like a sports sports science, so I can only speculate and, and kind of imagine what um, mm-hmm. what that's like and, and how that interplay is. And uh, again, just like that importance of that human factor that will always be there. I, I was even talking with uh, the podcast that will be up before this, and I always think about this, like people will have – this like magic unit that's supposed to do all the coaching for like like the thing that's going to sit on top of the and i think this is already here but like you know the thing that sits on top of the cage and watches your athlete and analyzes all their stuff and tells them what to do and loads and but like that takes away like you said the human element like well not athletes you know visual is only one you know percent of the spectrum in in learning skill acquisition there's there's uh auditory learners and kinesthetic learners and Mm -hmm. then there's also also the emotional side and so there's only i mean it, it, to me, it's always interesting how, um, how to best approach everything that that has to offer and how to do it within a uh, high performance system. Uh, getting into like some uh, like 
training, training and, and, uh, performance based questions. I, I did want to, especially based off, you know, given all your experiences recently and everything you've done, uh, I wanted to get your take on speed and speed development and hamstring injury prevention. And maybe those can be together or the same thing, but in the context of team sports. So just mm-hmm. general principles, ideas, and how, what are some ideas to keep athletes as healthy as possible in that realm? Yeah. Funny enough, I, I don't know if I would have massively different answers from when we talked a year ago, but I do have reinforced answers because I've been incredibly fortunate to, to fly all around the world and, and, and you know, see all these clients of, of Valds and, and these teams from all different leagues. And it's pretty clear that the teams that have very few injuries, especially running soft tissue injuries, they make darn sure that their athletes are exposed to maximum velocity running very often, like at least every five days. Um, and, and it's, you know, the teams that tell me, ah, oh, 80% is fine. Well, they probably, they often have more hamstrings, <laughs> you know, the teams that really have sprinting efforts, um, they do. Okay. So I, I, I feel stronger than ever that maximal velocity stimulus is the most important thing we can do to, um, to make sure our, our athletes are ready to go for their sport period. Um, assuming that that's a part of their sport, assuming that running of some kind is a part of their sport, regardless of debate of how often they hit max velocity in, in matches. Cause I actually don't think that that matters. Um, I, we, we talk about the worst case scenario and, and that's part of why. Um, the other thing that I see is, is that the eccentric hamstring question is, um, if anyone thinks that it's still a question, then they're paying too much attention to Twitter. <laughs> like it's, it's really, it's really hammered home. Um, you know, we know I, I, I'm actually going to call someone out directly that that Altus hamstring report was really nicely written and really balanced. And it was actually really, really well written and it completely skimmed over the eccentric part. And that's so political to me. Um, so whoever, uh, wrote that, please feel free to get in direct contact with me. But like that, I, I, I took issue with that because it's irresponsible in that we, we have one identifiable, uh, sorry, one identified modifiable risk factor for hamstring injuries in the literature. And that is eccentric hamstring strength. And we have a whole lot of research underneath that showing that it is fascicle length. That is one of the main, right determinants there, one of the main morphological determinants, and that we can affect that with eccentric hamstring training. And then people like Matt Bourne have done a ton of research showing, you know, what exercises do that. So it's not just that someone came along and said, hey, Nordics are great, right? This this is the whole whole house that's been built here. And and I I actually can't understand why people doubt it. And and I don't think um, you have mutually exclusive arguments where someone says the running mechanics matter most for injuries. Well, sure, um, an athlete with poor running mechanics would sensibly be more likely to get injured than one with great running mechanics. But that doesn't mean that someone with great running mechanics can't get injured. And it doesn't mean that someone with poor running mechanics wouldn't be less likely to get injured if they have long fascicles and very strong eccentric hamstring strength. Like this is very sensible stuff to me. I can't, I can't really fathom why people would uh, doubt it or trash it or whatever they do online. Um, so that's my thought around hamstring stuff and, and, uh, and high speed running and injury. There's so much literature out there um, you know, I, I feel that everyone's responsible for going and reading it. I mean, there's stuff about dose response from people like Joel Presland and, and, um, prediction stuff from guys like Josh Roddy. I mean, there's a whole group of people out there doing amazing research and they're not married Nordics. They're, they're humble and they want to find answers just as much as anyone else. So 
just read the literature. When, and when, really to, to circle back and answer in the end, when I go around, I don't see anyone doubting this stuff. Everyone's doing Nordics. And, you know, it doesn't matter what company they're using or if they're using one or not. Everyone's doing Nordics because they know that it works. Yeah, I, I think we talked about this in the last podcast we did together, but I've had just tremendous experience using Nordic hamstrings. And it's like, yes, I, I, I love running mechanics. I think it's awesome. I think it's important, but Nordics work. Like, <laughs> And it's yeah. like, and I think one of the things that we, I, actually it's funny because I gave a talk on on hamstring injury prevention and running mechanics and all these things that uh, it was, um, why am I blanking? I'm like, I don't know why I'm blanking on the, the yo-yo, the yo-yo hamstring company. Um I, I, uh, with yeah, they make some really cool products. Yeah. Oh, yeah. heck yeah. Uh, that flywheel yeah, hamstring is flywheels. killer. And you know what? There's yeah. one of those in the lab at Australian Catholic University. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. But, <laughs> you know, that like there's one of those sitting next to a Nord board. I mean, they, that that's a great product. I think it's the uh, I think it's the prone curl. Like, yeah. Those things are it's a fantastic stimulus. Oh, it is awesome. It, and so, yeah, what I was um, I was at that seminar. I was, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about putting together this presentation. I'm like, OK, like. Well, I'm a track coach is a big part of who I am. So I want to say, well, running mechanics are, are really huge. And they are, but well, running mechanics are also strongly impacted by your strength levels. Like, yes. you know, if, if you're if you're weak, it's going to show up where you are and you're running. Like if I put you in ISO lunge and I see where you fatigue first and how your posture, like I see your running mechanics in that. Like, and so that's, there's not one without the other. And I, so th- I think we mm-hmm. always have to be completely conscious of how strength impacts technical acquisition and to try to hammer someone into a perceived technical model without the requisite strength is i mean the person's just going to go back to what's strong when they actually run exactly. like <laughs> or they, yeah, they won't be robust to to continue it yes exactly yes exactly and yeah. the robustness comes really with the physical the physical structure and the variability it's it's uh totally. and, so, and i actually have two quick notes to add to that one is that um you know I don't think anyone out there is really strongly arguing um, that Nordics make you faster, unless I'm mistaken. I know that there's mixed literature mm-hmm. around that. And Tony Shields has, has commented on that online. And and uh, I think it's, you know, people are pretty clear. on Nobody thinks that that's a tool to make you faster, but it's about the morphological morphological changes, which will reduce injury risk. Um, so that's one point. And the other one is around specificity of things like velocity of movement. Um, that I know we've, we've talked in the past about that a lot in uh, different isometric things, different isometric options, um, which you've published on really, really well. I think we know that fast eccentric things happen in running. Um, and that's one reason why one of my favorite variables, uh, on a force plate is eccentric deceleration rate of force development, right? How fast we can break more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing slow eccentric hamstring work is, is not going to miss the mark because it's creating a morphological change. So, you know, just so that people don't call us out on that because we've talked about, right. How 80% speed is not 90% speed. Um, but you do different things to achieve different missions in physical development. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm glad you mentioned that. But oh, actually, I want to ask you a question. So, and, and you're right, like, it's like, and, and you see the research strength is specific. If you do a lot of eccentrics, yeah. you get stronger eccentrically, your concentric may not be the same. And that's just strength. That's not even talking dynamic work. But I mean, right. we do have those studies. That I wanted your opinion. There's that famous study. It's with like the soccer players. And they did the Nordic hamstrings. And I think their 30 or 40 yard dash got better, you know, like, uh, and I was, I mean, granted, it's just one group. And maybe kind of my thought on it was maybe like, look, if you don't have enough hamstring strength it may not even be a pure performance thing but maybe it's more now your body your brain feels safer to let your body express very, higher very limb velocities possible. yeah that's kind of where my mind goes is now 
there's more safety in the system. My brain can now wire more force into the system. And I'm like, I'm 35 now. I feel like I feel the results of this all the time. Like I'll hit like a, like a couple of weeks ago, I hit a sprint time that I hadn't hit in two or three years. And I was super excited about it. And my body, my nervous system is still saying F you two weeks later. Cause it's like, it's like, okay, Joel, your tissues aren't strong enough. You're old. Like, not, yeah. I'm not, but like, yeah. well, we, I, look, we, we definitely saw in sprinters, right. Where, where it, it was a, psychological thing it was a confidence thing around pushing their hamstrings pushing themselves to run as fast as they could so that that could definitely make sense right if athletes were working on their hamstrings and then were able to just run faster flat out um when i saw that study i just thought there needs to be more yeah I, and i understand that I, I understand yeah. that because it isn't necessarily specific so every time there's not something that's truly specific you always have to well, what about this is specific? And yeah, I, I'd be, and I, I, I think our field has gone the way of like nutrition and that, you know, was it, was it last week that one study came out saying like, you know, insignificant change when removing red meat from diet. And now, hmm. you know, ABC news is publishing all oh, red meat kills you. Like that's what Twitter's like these days. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's always i mean that i just stay i try to stay off of that stuff only because for me i'm like i'm so stubborn my wife makes fun of me she's like the only way you learn is if you just learn yourself you have to make mistakes yourself so or uh, mm-hmm. you know just being hard-headed about it and doing that you know i was thinking too i mean it's not nordic and i don't want to get on this stuck on this topic forever but like there is the element to maybe if someone was already kind of strong and there's like a, a small acute potentiation, you know, threshold of activation on there that yeah, might yeah, feed in the probably. system, maybe, you know, I, I'm so, and I'm just trying to throw ideas out there and kind of, but anyways, yeah, no, no, yeah. So good, good stuff. Nordics work. Let's do it. I like what you're saying too. So in that, in that hamstring conference, actually, I met a work coach or a, a work coach, a coach, a prep coach from uh, Spain. His name is Rafa Maldonado. And he's one of those guys, you know, just, just in the trenches, not on Twitter, barely speaks English. But when I saw his presentation, I was just, he works with the Premier League football team over there, totally blown awesome. away. Tons of eccentric, you know, hammy stuff on different modes, on the flywheel machines, using like the Versa pulley, straight leg bent, like all this stuff, but also a lot of high speed running and a lot of pre-fatigue into high speed running, pre-fatigue into high speed running over like mini hurdles or wickets or what have you. Like, I was like, this guy, man, this is a lot of like spontaneous stuff, robust stuff. I was like, this guy is on another level. And I don't typically work in this environment, but I can tell this is like awesome. And he, he checked off a lot of the factors that you were talking about with the, the high speed. And uh, I was going to say too, with the high speed running, like to me, that's interesting in the sense of, and I would imagine most teams practices are more, you know, acceleration based and the amount of reps they get in high speed running, especially like a lactic high speed running or mm-hmm. just different forms mm-hmm. of it and different levels of fatigue. Um, that, that's cool to me. I'm glad you mentioned it. And now I'm just trying to unpack it with how that manifests itself in people's practices and what a typical practice sure. is. Well, that's, that's maybe the focal point that I could say there's so much variability or so much range of what I observe in my travels um, is some teams are, are incredible about incorporating it in their drills. Like it's just, Hey, we're doing this sport drill today. And we know that that, that gives us that amount of zone six running. Some have to protocol it a bit more um, and so forth. Uh, the other thing that, I, that I'd add really quickly is I think maybe the biggest thing that's changed in this realm since we last spoke, Joel, is some of the Franz Bosch stuff. And I really think we shouldn't spend more than a No more. Five, five minute limit now. It's, uh, it's yeah, okay, clock. good. good. Um, <laughs> is I, I think we maybe come to a, a happy medium on this is, is people got probably too into it. Then there was a huge backlash. And look, I love those guys. I love Franz, Paul Venner. John Pryor, the brilliant, brilliant guys. And Martin Bissinger's website is like my go-to was when I was working in track. Um, but people realize that this is a tool. People realize that um, constraints-based drills don't have to look insane. 
Um, there was some really good stuff out there from, shoot, I can't remember from some prep schools the other day. Um, maybe, maybe we'll link to it. Um, I've just, you know, running drills, right. And, and two V one drills mm-hmm. and dummy drills and tag drills and things like this. And, and I think that this is how we should train running, you know, um, going out and running tape to tape, hoping that you hit a certain velocity is, is short-sighted. Um, so, you know, stimulus is amazing. And, and, you know, people talk about that in team sports, but, but we, we see this in track a lot is if you go and you run and you tell the athlete 90%, they're not going to run as fast as if you have them race someone, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, so I think we should bear that in mind with training. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. So can you re summarize then like what, so what, how does that tie with the boss drills? Like, like, and how oh, I was just yeah. saying that I think people have, have found some balance around the constraints based stuff is look, there's still some setups that you walk into and they're doing some boss drills and they don't even know why or how. And it's frustrating when you see that. Um, but I think a lot of stuff know that, that there's some great value to be derived from those lines of thought. Um, and that it doesn't have to take over your whole program or replace anything or mean that you take other stuff out. Um, and I think people realize, I think my bottom line point is that people realize that you can use a lot of these principles without having insane looking drills. No, oh, totally. I mean, I was just telling you know, the podcast that's going to come up before this is like, just even just say run over wickets and just, just use one arm, like, or just, just do yeah. something that's really small and with your own yeah. body weight and simple, it makes a big change and it's simple. Well, and a lot of people hammered Paul Venner and and his ultimate instability is aqua bags. And, and I, I think Paul's absolutely brilliant. And, and people were criticizing some of the crazy, you know, overhead circle yeah, 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 and figure eight about. drills and stuff. And I've, I've worked out with the aqua bags with Paul and it'll, it'll ruin your day. It is so oh. hard, but that doesn't mean that you have to go do it with your athletes. You can just run while holding the bag. That's really hard. And that's a great stimulus for your athlete. You know, you can just run while holding it in front of your chest and that's a different stimulus or run while holding it out to your right or whatever. It does not have to be flashy. Yeah. I, and I like that. It actually ties in with the podcast I just released this past week with Tim Anderson, just talking about just crawling, right? Like we want right. it and just go do a bear crawl. Look, or even just a hands and knees crawl, like just to get your, it doesn't have to be like, because what but that's not going to get any likes on instagram like just <laughs> you know it's marketing if we look at the marketing engine who cares like oh just call it stupid like you know like like you, you <laughs> but it's the simplest most basic thing that is the pareto's principle it's 80 20 like yes. that's yeah. that's the version that gave you the most and everything else is just you know i don't know, trying to sell something you know and i love how forthcoming tim was with that like he's just yeah just bear crawl be silverback posture tongue over your mouth nose breathe Cool. Like yeah. it's almost more about how you're doing what you're doing rather than trying to get too crazy with it. Mm. So I like that with the, that's, I mean, cause yeah, I completely agree. Like I, with the water bag stuff, I mean, I've never used them. I actually have heard good things about them, like from people who have used them. Uh, yeah, I, I have one in my garage. I bust it out every now and then and just embarrass myself and I put it away <laughs> for a few weeks. It's so hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different tool and people just freak out because it's easy to criticize when you see it. Especially um, single leg snatches with it. Probably like something that's like, seems yeah, like over the top. There. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just we yeah. don't have to go there just because there's a video of it on social media. <laughs> I mean, that's a great tool for an athlete who has gotten there and like Dutch baseball. They're, they're, it's an amazingly successful program and they do some really unique stuff, but that doesn't mean that that's what you need to go do with your athletes tomorrow. Yeah. That's not the, that's not the 80%. Like it, exactly. It, <laughs> Uh, that's a good point. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up, Jake. Uh, so I think we, we've, we've gone through a few of these, uh, already. And I know, so one thing I wanted to ask you, um, that kind of goes and, and 
you know that speed development hamstring stuff i think it's just it's gold and and i'm 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 definitely going to keep a lot of that stuff in mind as I continue to go down that realm. Uh, but, and you've mentioned it already, like we've talked a little bit um, on our last talk together, but like thoughts on force plates for, and you, you mentioned the big things that you want to see. Uh, but one thing mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious of is transfer to other skills aside from like simply jumping and landing. Like you're working with a team, a, a team that's doing all sorts of things on the field, like just uh, all sorts of different skills and drills and movements. Uh, and what, like, what are the strengths and then limitations of a, a you know, on the ground force plate in looking at um, other other things or just an athlete as a whole? Like, where where do you kind of like, okay, it'll give me this much and and beyond that. Sure. Yeah. So, what's your thoughts? No, I, I think it's a great question, Joel, and and I think it's very important to understand that um, proponents of force platform monitoring are are not saying that it's representative of running ability or whatever else or basketball ability or, or whatever. Right. Um, but that's actually the beauty of it, um, is, is a counter movement jump is, I I can't find a more graceful term for it. It's an idiot proof test of neuromuscular status, right? Your hands are on your hips. You are just showing what, what does the system have in that moment? And that's fantastic. That's the information that we want. I don't know why people criticize it because that's what we always chase is boiling things down and cutting aside. It doesn't matter if they had a fight with their partner last night. It doesn't matter if they ran too much yesterday, just where are they at this morning? And that's awesome information. And then it's our job to extrapolate that, right? Is to say, okay, is there fatigue? Is there whole system drop off? Are there asymmetry spiking? And those are kind of your three negative potential outcomes. And what do you do with each of those? Um, and, and then we can see, right? I mean, it's not to say an athlete wouldn't be able to hit high speed running without hurting themselves if they show fatigue in a counter movement jump. But if they do show fatigue in a counter movement jump, maybe we should look at some other factors and talk to the athlete more before putting them out there for maximum running. That makes sense. Um, I do think it can evaluate some interesting qualities and I am going blind, uh, trying to publish this research from, from our guys at Florida state, from coach Ricky Argro's sprint group, where we looked at, you know, we tested them more or less weekly across a whole season and, and including this past season gone by and we look at their race results. Um, and we can see, I mean, um, Concentric rate of power development gets absolutely caned on Twitter for whatever odd reason. It's a brilliant metric. I I always joke with Dr. Cohen that if we just if they just named it acceleration, nobody <laughs> would be able to say anything. Um, you know, because we're looking at watts per second. It's it's a rate of increase. Okay, it's it's, it's a slope on a power curve. Is all it is. And um, and to me, that represents acceleration of the athlete in the concentric phase. And when we saw that go up in our sprinters, their 60 meter time improved and, and they're, you know, the coach subjectively says that they're looking better out of the box. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I don't have a double blind <laughs> placebo study to tell you that, but I'm telling you what I saw as a coach and as a practitioner. Um, so I think, I think we can get a lot of interesting information out of it. I think it also gives us nice apples to oranges um, because we can see, you know, we can see, all right, two athletes that they, they look the same pretty much. Um, and one jumps five centimeters, eight centimeters higher. We can generally vaguely say that they, they might be a better athlete or might have better athletic ability or athletic potential. Um, so if they go on they're equal football players or basketball players or whatever, um, maybe we know that the athlete who jumps higher would benefit more from working on their skills and the athlete who jumps lower might benefit more from athletic development. Now that is not an overarching conclusion that we should blindly make, but that is information that can guide such decisions. 
Yeah, it's, I, I really like how you mentioned, like, no one wants to, like, embrace improved concentric power because it's almost like this these these things that go on the back of our head these heuristics like oh that's just getting stronger in the weight room oh that's not fancy enough like <laughs> that's not yeah. cool enough like let's like let's just not make that like the yeah you have to call it something else right well and it's funny i've, I've had really good chats with dr brian Mann about that stuff recently is how everyone likes to talk about moving with intent and velocity based mm-hmm. training but as soon as it's on a force platform for some reason people people lose their mind in that okay we're saying here's an accelerative quality that you can probably improve with intent in the weight room or, you know, out of the box work for sprinters or, or what have you. Um, and it's going to show up, it's going to be objective and it's going to guide us in knowing if we got better or not. And if we should keep doing what we're doing or try something else. Yeah. When did starting strength become uncool? Like <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I just thought it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, I, I granted like my predispositions as a jumper, a plyometric guy is always going to be, I mean, I could see myself falling in that same trap. Actually, I shouldn't, joke about it because i could see myself of going exactly down that rabbit hole had you not just said something to me um so i will always call myself out uh but i, I mean it just makes sense getting on the blocks concentric power lots of sports movements and just not yeah, selling but, anything short because of predispositions well and unfortunately we can apply kind of across different areas is is i mentioned earlier that eccentric deceleration rate of force development i probably talk about it too much to people i love that variable on the force platform since it's really how how quickly can we put on the brakes how quickly can we get out of the hole um and and athletes who are really good at it have amazing change of direction that's because they can stop when they want and um i think athletes who are pretty good at that would probably get injured less but we don't really think of it as an injury risk marker of a performance marker um but you know of our sprint group the one who was way above all the rest uh in that variable was the only one who played football hmm. you know and you know so he moved multi-directionally and you see stuff like this and we just have to i think be open-minded when we look at these things yeah right on man uh so you mentioned a little bit too about acute chronic workload ratio uh when we were starting uh and did you know just in the sense of like people who really rigidly stick to it. Uh, are there any other, other things outside of that that you wanted to mention in terms of best practices and ways to integrate it into your practice and competition schedule? Like ways that um, teams are monitoring? Yeah, or like, yeah, like just uh, like thoughts or best practices or anything like that. Or is that, you know, do you feel like we no, got I, that pretty good? I think... I think just being being responsible and, and being sensible about I've said that word too much responsible. I, I feel like we can just be intellectually lazy in, in our environment sometimes. And I think um, the really successful coaches that I know are great at at looking at what's right in front of them. Right. So if it's ice hockey and you can't use GPS, look at time on ice. And you know what? Sorry, that's been really effective for a lot of teams. They've been They've done just fine with that. Um, and some of the catapult stuff that's going on, some of the work that Adam Douglas does is phenomenal and super exciting. Um, but if we don't have access to that, we can still do a good job and we can still monitor load. Um, and if, you know, like baseball, right, are we getting away from pitch counts? Maybe. Maybe that's a good thing, but we can still use it, right? And, we, and if that's what the sport coaches are hooked on, we can still talk through it, we can still monitor it, and we can still have it be one column on a spreadsheet and i think i think we should look at our sports and we should look at how they're each unique and what the demands of the sports are yeah right right on yeah i think it's it is always cool to be like yeah like this this old metric you know just something like pitch counts or some time on ice right like it's um it's all it's all information and i think it's all you know that what's what's old is new and sometimes reinvented in many ways but it's always good to be able to go back to that and use that as a metric or if that's Mm. you know in your system to use 
what uh, I'll, I'll leave you. I'll leave with this. And uh, what's uh, what are some questions you asking you're, you're asking yourself for like this upcoming year? Like, or or what are some interesting topics that you're really hoping to um, learn more about? Questions that you think need being answered. Uh, what's mm-hmm. on What's on the horizon, basically, for you and where you're going? Mm, that's a, that's a fun one. Um, I think in terms of questions around the field and things that I observe and questions I would want to have and, and, and my own adventures are um, really assessing what questions stakeholders have and what beliefs they have and what expectations they have um, and how we can address that and potentially evolve that. So, you know, I think it, it's really valuable for practitioners to find out what is their sporting director, what is their CEO, what is their general manager think my job is. Um, and, and what do they hope I achieve, right? Is it just never get a hamstring injury or is it, you know, run uh, in the fourth quarter really well, um, and, and assess those. And when we want to evolve those, or when we think we should evolve those, how do we go about it? So kind of how to win friends and influence people, or maybe some of that Robert Greene stuff. Um, I think I want to continue diving into the, the athlete response is, is not ignoring what did the athlete do, but just figuring out what's the athlete status and knowing, I mean, this is something we, we didn't touch on is knowing how transient that can be, right? Turn on their favorite song and they'll test very differently. So, you know, how can we really assess that um, and make good decisions uh, not make shotgun decisions? So it's a big, big question I have. Um, and I think, data visualization is we can we can all laugh at how the guy who who learns python is never going to be out of a job um but it's true and so what do we do about it you know how do we how do we produce good reports how do we communicate with with staff and so right off of what i said about stakeholders okay what do they want to know every day what what do they want to know only once a week when do they want to hear from us um and what's the best way to represent that, right? So if you have one sentence, you can say to the head coach every day, hopefully you have a better situation than that, but what's that sentence going to be and how do you decide that? Um, so I think I think learning <clears throat> a lot of that communication and making good decisions off of the data, if you have 10 things you discuss with your staff and then that boils down to three that that you actually um, action or or have to take to the stakeholders, how do you, how do you go about that? Yes, yeah, so just best organizational practices with given all this the data information and dynamics. Yeah, I just think we do a lot of that stuff blindly, or we do it impulsively, or because it's you know we we bias to what we're good at or or whatever. And I think it's it's certainly not easy, and we rarely have the time to make really measured decisions around this stuff. But I think I think we can benefit from uh, from being more measured about those things. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like uh, the idea of not. Um, what do they say? Like you're not you're not reacting from the subconscious. You're actually able to you're able to think and process about what's really going on and how you are really uh, yeah. Like like I think about all the time. Like why am I why am I what am I really trying to get out of what I'm doing? And uh, just being able to look at the whole picture or see the read the label from outside the bottle, if you will. So brilliant one. Yeah, and, and we see we see um, a lot of chat about uh, the thinking fast and slow, the the systems thinking, the complex systems theories, um, and and that stuff makes so much sense for startups. But what about for sports teams? How can we really apply that well? And there's some really good chat from from guys like Darcy Norman and Nick Winkleman around those things. But but uh, actually, you know, taking this this theory and going and doing it, it's not easy. So. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very curious about all that. <laughs> Tons of factors. Well, hey, I'm I'm really excited to see what you come up with. Well, uh, we'll come back next thank year and you. ask. Uh, well, hey, thank you so much for your time there on the show, Jake. I really appreciate having you on. Thank you for having me.
right, that does it for another episode. Thanks for listening, guys. It's awesome to have you with us on this journey across all these awesome guests and their knowledge and adding to this field. And it's definitely made me a better coach as I've gone through it. I always enjoy, I always enjoy talking to Jake. Uh, as always, we as always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They are doing great work in the field and making that accessible, that technology accessible for you guys in your pursuits as coaches. If you enjoyed the show as well, don't hesitate. Leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. We totally appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with another great guest.